0: This is Commerce Shannigan's episode 728, flashback to November 2004. Welcome to the Comic Shanadigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 728. It's another flashback episode, this time going back to November 2004. I really enjoyed doing the last flashback. Uh, was, I pulled up uh, Comic Book DB, which is a website that unfortunately will not uh, be around much longer, uh, at least not in its current form. Um, so I'm really sad about that. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a flashback episode. And I did one for 2009, November 2009, looking at books that came out 10 years previous. Uh, that was episode 722, if you want to go back and check it, just six, ep- six episodes ago. Uh, so I thought today I would uh, take a look back at 2004. Uh, there's a lot of big stuff. It's only 15 years. It's not that long ago, but it's surprising how how much stuff is, is, is 15 years old already. And, and my relationship with the idea that, you know, 15 years old, that's a long time, you know? I'm looking back, you know, 2004, that's the year I would have turned 21 years old. Um, so, I mean, I was 21 years old. I was in, what, second year university, I guess. I started... Uh, in that fall, so I was in second year university. Uh, I was at university, not buying a, a lot of comics, but still buying a fair number. And some of the stuff I, I, I feel like it should have been longer than 15 years ago, and some of it, I'm surprised it's only been 15 years, so again I'm I'm going alphabetically, I'm going to go uh, down the alphabet as we we look at this here, and just kind of look at some of the highlights so what I've done is I've gone to comicbookdb.com which is uh, closing on December 16th, so enjoy it while you can Uh, who knows what it's going to look like after that, I'm so upset about it though, Uh, just because I love the website, it's so fantastic, and it's just been such a a phenomenal resource Um, anyways, going back to November 2004, we're going alphabetically uh, so we're able to search by cover date uh, on Comic Book DB uh, while well, we can, and uh, we can kind of just go through it this way. So uh, the first thing that kind of uh, jumped out to me, and I was like, "Is this is this that during that period?" And it was, is Action Comics number 819. Uh, so this is again long, long, long. Like what? eight, nine years before uh, the New 52 happened, uh, back when you still had, you know, kind of classic Superman stories. You still had the DC Bullet, for example, um, as the uh, the icon uh, for the for the company. Uh, this is an interesting period that I don't think a lot of people like in action comics, though, is it's written by uh, a name that I feel like you haven't seen actually written on a new comic in a long time. I'm wondering whatever happened to Chuck Austin. Um... I mean, I think if you look at Comic Book DB, you'll see his name come up in a bunch of stuff in the last little while, but usually it's trade paperbacks of material that he'd written. So I think the last time he actually wrote something is, gosh, like a long time ago. Probably in and around this period. In fact, it's possible that. The Action Comics was kind of the last thing he wrote, and I think it was in 2005. So uh, this is not long before uh, the end of Chuck Austin's comic book writing career, at least, uh, on Action Comics. And uh, I, I think uh, you know, for a lot of people, it wasn't. they didn't really enjoy some of the storylines that he was doing. Uh, he had some great artwork, though. He had Pencils by Joe Prado and Ivan Race. Ivan Race, I don't think, had really uh, broken out yet. Uh, that wasn't for a little bit while later, but... Um, Yeah, that's you know this was this was the Chuck Austin Action Comics era. Uh, You had Adventures of Superman by Greg Rucka and Paul Pelletier. Uh, What a team! Uh, I don't remember it that well. Like again, I was. Yeah, not that I was a Marvel zombie anymore. I definitely started opening my eyes to other material, but uh, I was still close enough to being a zombie that I kind of missed this when it happened. Uh, Talking about uh, very... Now, again, when we talk about books covered in November, we're really probably talking about books that came out two months previous, so more like September, uh, which is, again, right when I was starting university. Uh, for the second year, so we had Amazing Spider-Man 512. This is Sins Past, one of the most notorious story. Up at, at the time it happened, I think it was easy to say that Sins Past is probably the most controversial storyline since the Clone Saga, and perhaps even more so in some ways. Uh, and then, not not that many years later, you had One More Day as a, a way to kind of say, you know what, you thought you were upset before, we could make it a lot worse. Um, so it's interesting looking at it. This is back when they still had the Amazing Spider-Man uh, cover logo uh, that was kind of from the 90s period. So it hadn't gone back to the more classic, uh, non, I want to say jagged um, font type that we had here. Uh, this is back when Mike Diodato was was doing the pencils. He was so good in this book. JMS was still writing it. Uh, I can't remember if it was Marvel 1000 or Marvel 1001 where there was a page that JMS wrote called... Uh, like regrets or something about that, and he wrote him himself into it. And what he says is sins past, which I thought was hilarious. Um, and you know, this is that storyline. So in this storyline, like you have these kids, and you think there might be Peter's kids with M- with Gwen, and they're somehow you know aged faster, but it ends up being Norman and Gwen's kids. And I've never really gotten over that. And I don't feel like I blame JMS because I do feel like this was editorial mis- uh, mishandled, uh, or like how do you let a storyline go through and then kind of change your mind and then force an ending? At least that's kind of been the narrative that I've always heard, that he wanted it to be Peter's kids, and then while they were in the middle of the storyline, they decided he can't do that, so they made Norman's kids instead. Who knows how true that is, but it's just a nightmare. There's a, a shot, I forget which issue, where you see kind of uh, the implication being uh, during uh, Norman Osborn and Gwen Stacy having sex. just makes me sick to my stomach. It's so gross, and it's just people love the Gwen Stacy character, and it never felt like that storyline added anything to that. It just took away. Again, I've I've talked about it on the podcast before, the idea that I like storylines and retroactive continuities, which are additive, that really do add something, as opposed to subtracting. And I felt like that one, although it technically added characters, I felt like it didn't do anything to add to the character of Gwen. I don't think it it made me appreciate her more. I don't think it added anything that I liked. It just kind of ruined her more, and it felt like character assassination. So I've never really been able to get over that, but that was... uh, you know that was that was going on 15 years ago. Crazy. Uh, moving forward, uh, we had uh, astonishing X-Men. That's right, astonishing X-Men. I mean, it's 15 years ago. We had issue five. I remember hearing that, that there's gonna be a big resurrection, but not wanting to know it, not not wanting to know who did it or like who was being resurrected in Astonishing X Men. And then seeing the alt the variant cover prominently displayed at the comic shop I was at the time with Colossus on. I'm like, Well that's a big fuck you. Um that being said, this is a great story. It's by Joss Whedon and John Cassiday. Uh it's it's really well done and and you know, just phenomenal, phenomenal um uh, series and this was only issue five, so we're so so shallow, like not even that far into the run, and it's hard to again believe that this was that long ago. Like I, I that is just crazy to me. Fifteen years ago was the X Men. I mean, in some ways, yeah, because it feels like we've done a lot of other things with X Men since then. But it just was such a huge, the important uh, thing at the time that it's hard to believe that it's uh, that recent. Uh, overall, which is crazy. Uh, also big, and it's also crazy to think that this is all happening in the same month. You had astonishing Men still happening. You had, you know, JMS and, on Spider-Man doing uh, since past. You had the next book I'm going to talk about. You had Avengers 502 chaos part three of four uh, with on the, on the cover. It said, one of these Avengers will die. This is by Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch. We think of Brian Michael Bendis it was on Avengers forever. It felt like he was just writing the Avengers for so long yet. Really, it only started 15 years ago, which is kind of crazy. Um, this was, you know, th- this was his big entry into the Avengers. You had uh, David Finch doing the artwork um, again on the cover. Here you have Wasp, Scarlet Witch. Uh, yellow jacket and Hawkeye obviously Hawkeye ends up being the one who gets killed in the storyline um, crazy uh, sorry and I guess that's a spoiler for a 15 year old story but uh, you know it, it was it was so good um, also uh, cover dated this this particular month that uh, would appear is the trade paperback for Avengers and Thunderbolts. Um, which collected the miniseries which uh, led up to the beginning of new Thunderbolts. Um, a book I never read, but I knew it was happening, and I think I had the free comic book day. I think my wife gave me an issue at one point very early on that she found in like, a dollar bin somewhere, was The Ballad of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, it's from Beckett Comics, Gabriel Benson and Mike Hawthorne. I've never read it, just thought I would mention that it happened to come out that particular, uh, that particular time. Uh, moving forward, uh, and sorry for that weird sound effect there, I uh, clicked on the wrong link uh, that had opened and it brought forward some, uh, an old, uh, I guess, uh, link I had on YouTube. So sorry about that if you heard that. If you didn't, well, I just made a big ado about nothing. Uh, moving forward, we had Batgirl 56. So this is uh, actually, uh, I remember this War Games Act 2, Part 6 of 8. <laughs> That's right. Act two of War Games was eight parts long. Um, I liked War Games. I thought it was a pretty interesting story overall. And I liked what was going on. Uh, this is back when that was Cassie uh, Cassie Kane was Batgirl, uh, written by Dylan Horrocks, uh, or credited as Mrs. Dolan Hicks. I don't know. Comic Book DB is confusing me there. Um, and then there's Mike Huddleston as pencils and Jesse Delperdang on inks. Uh, so this is back during a war game, so you had a lot more in- interconnectivity between all the bat books at the time, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, you had Batman 632, so again, that w- would have been, what, Act 2, Part 8 of 8, Orpheus in the Underworld. This is back when Bill Willingham was writing the, the Batman book with pencils by Kinson Lo and Aaron saud on inks. Uh, I haven't heard of any of those, well, besides Willingham, in quite some time. Um but yeah, and even uh, Legends of the Dark Knight at the time, which was part two of eight of the War Games, part two, was by A.J. Lieberman and Brad Walker. Um, so we see some of these names, but some of these names you just don't hear from anymore. Um, and a, a name that stands out only because I kind of know what it was, but it was—it's hard to believe that it's that old—is uh, Bionicle, which is I guess a Lego property, which had its twenty-first issue uh, back in two thousand and four, which I did not realize that that was nearly that old. Which is just crazy to me. Um, what do we have going on at the same time? We had Captain America. Uh, not just Captain America. Let's see what what issue were we on at this time? Uh, it's hard to see because there's a, some weird stuff going on here. Uh, oh no, I was you know I was clicking on the wrong link there, uh, which apparently I do a lot. So Captain America, you had issue I guess thirty one. It looks like. Um, and this was during the Robert Kirkman Scott Eden period. Uh, now it's interesting to note, because just from a time standpoint, this is just before I guess uh, Brew Baker started writing his Captain America. So this was kind of the last gasp of the you know, pre um, kind of revitalization and complete reinvention of Captain America. Um, because you know he, once once you had Brubaker coming on and doing his run with Winter Soldier, etc., I feel like. The way in which Cap was illustrated just matured in some way, uh, whereas he became, again, more real world in terms of the the, pers- the pers- personification of the character, and, sorry the visualization of the character, I guess and less uh, the classic kind of superhero version of the character, if that makes any sense. In the same month we had Captain America and the Falcon, issue number seven, which is the uh, very short run by Christopher Priest and Joe Bennett uh, for fans of Priest, it's worth checking out, it's definitely is an interesting period and um, also, you had uh, Catwoman When in Rome, number one. So uh, the I guess it, what, it takes place between Long Halloween and Dark Victory, I believe, or between the issues of something. I, I can't remember exactly at the moment, but uh, it's hard to believe it's been 15 years since the first chapter of that came out by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It's been a long time since we I think we've actually had them do work together, which is unfortunate, because I think uh, Tim Sale brought out the best in Jeff Loeb, that's for sure always enjoyed their work together. Um, there was two issues of Daredevil published uh, in this particular month, and this was uh, you know pretty deep into Brian Michael Bendis' run. This is issue 64 and 65. Uh, it's The Widow, Part 4 and 5, by Brian Bendis and uh, Alex Malev. I love their Daredevil. I will always talk it up, and it's worth reading. Also, the 12th issue of the uh, first series of Demo, which is kind of crazy. So that's by Brian Wood and Becky Clunan. I've talked about Demo numerous times on the podcast previously, specifically because I actually was able uh, to have uh, Brian Wood on the uh, show a couple times in the past, uh, which is very cool for me. Um, another person who's been on the show before, Pete Woods, uh, he was illustrating Detective Comics this particular month. as It got closer and closer to, uh, was it issue 800, I think? Um, yeah, it was at 798. Crazy i i love seeing big numbers you know Uh, obviously we have that back now these days with uh, action comics and detective comics Uh, but for a while we did not have that it was quite sad uh going back to Marvel for a second, we had Exiles, issue 52. Um, So that was, you know, that series went 100 issues and then was, I guess rebranded as the new Exiles. So uh, this is back, you know, after the the, the kind of the halfway mark of the original run. Tony Bedard was still writing it, Jim Calafiore and this was a a storyline called The Living Planet Part 1. A book that uh, has long it Feels like it's long since ended, but is definitely one of the best long-form uh, stories I think I've ever read. Is fables. Uh, so issue twenty-nine, Frankenstein versus the Wolfman, War Stories Part Two happened, uh, which is it just seems so crazily early in that book's run. Um, so much hadn't been revealed yet. Um, so much hadn't happened yet. Uh, it, it, again, it's crazy to think just how early that is uh, Going back over to DC Well, sorry, staying with DC But moving out of Vertigo We had uh, The Flash 214 The Secret of Barry Allen Part 1 Absolutely love this run by Jeff Johns and Howard Porter This is coming out of the uh, Revelations as part of Identity Crisis. Uh, So you had uh, Wally West dealing with the ramifications of finding out that Barry Allen uh, had done some things maybe he shouldn't have done in terms of messing with people's minds. Uh, Definitely kind of reframed how he viewed his mentor character. Um, It was a big deal at the time, a really big deal. Uh, Over at Marvel, we had Fantastic Four Five eighteen, as the run by Mark Wade and Mike Waringo started getting closer to its ending. This was uh, Fortitude Part 2. It would end with, I believe, 524? I could be wrong. Uh, So it was only a few months away from being over. Um, That was such a beautiful run by Mark Wade and um, Mike Waringo and Paul Kessel as well. Um, so great stuff. Uh, moving forward, we also had uh, Firestorm number five. So this was the Jason Rush Firestorm, written by Dan Jolie and Chris Goss on art. Um, and I remember—I I don't know if this is maybe wrong, but I think this was very divisive at the time. I don't know if people liked that they got rid of Ronnie Raymond. Um, instead, they brought in this Jason Rush character. But uh, you know, I think it's good to you know keep new characters running through and new personalities, etc. Uh, We also had the launch of a new Gambit book by John Lehman and George Shanti, House of Cards, Part 1 and 2. I actually don't remember much of this book. Um, I don't think I was really reading Gambit at the time. I think I maybe leaned off being as much of an ex-head, which is weird to say out loud. That's... I don't know if I'll ever use that term again, but uh, it was, you know, I had been such a big X Men fan, and I think at some point I started leaning away from the X books. And uh, at this point, I think I was, you know, still enjoying them, but I uh, it was definitely not the way I had been in previous years. Although I was loving Astonishing X Men, so I definitely was not reading that Gambit book. Uh, Green Arrow wise uh, and Green Lantern wise, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Um, you had. Green Arrow by Judd Winnick and Phil Hester, uh, issue 42. Uh, working on New Blood, part 3. I uh, love Judd Winnick. Uh, he's been on the show a few times in the past. I really enjoyed his take on Green Lantern. Sorry, Green Arrow, I should say. You had Ron Mars and um, uh, Luke Ross doing uh, Green Lantern, issue 181, which was Homecoming, uh, which is actually the last issue. Uh, it was the last of uh, the Kyle Rayner starring Green Lantern book from. Uh, back in the era when he was the only Green Lantern, or at least there was a few Green Lanterns, but there wasn't, like, a core yet. Um, maybe this is where they came back. Now I can't even remember all this stuff, but uh, Green Lantern Rebirth happened not long after this, which is crazy that, again, that entire, you know, when when Jeff Johns rebooted or rebirthed uh, Green Lantern, it really made that that property a number one prior, prior property for years. And I guess still he left in, what, 2000. 13, and uh, I don't think I'd ever really recovered from him leaving, Um, but it was so strong for so many years, and it was just it became this exciting, you know, you must watch part of it because it was all new you know, you were dealing with all these different cores, and at the time that was a completely new concept, to have all these different colored cores, which we'd never seen before so it was very exciting Uh, next up, we have, oh, a book that I absolutely love, Uh, Gotham Central, number 23, this is Corrigan part 1, by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark, um Oh, I love the Korg and the storyline. I love everything about Gotham Central, and uh, this was, you know, just at the end of its uh, second year. It would go on for what a little bit more than another year, um, but it was obviously going to be different after Brubaker left, and uh, it was more of, you know, Rucka kept it going. Still a phenomenal book, always worth rereading, and it's just, it's just such a special book. Like, and I feel like it's kind of timeless. It could kind of take place whenever, and it's like reading Law and Order in the in the DC universe, and it's tremendously entertaining uh, you had the in the middle of the great run of the uh, Hawkman series uh, that was going on in the early 2000s you had issue 32 coming out this particular month and then uh, here's a the big one Identity Crisis number 4 that's right this uh, this book was still going I, I love the Identity Crisis I understand why people have problems with it and I have problems with it too because it feels like they did not need to do to sue what they did I definitely def- def- always felt that the rape was extra unnecessary uh, it was enough that they have killed the character in the way they did and that she was pregnant. I just always felt that showing that she was raped by Dr. Light was an unnecessary addition and not something that I needed. and not, not It's not anything that I felt that really added anything uh, substantive to Sue, to Elongated Man. Um, it was enough to have her be attacked. I just always felt that sexual violence didn't need to be... Done in this way, and and maybe you know maybe that's maybe I'm just wrong there, but I just always felt that that was felt like an unnecessary thing to do, uh, and an upsetting one. Um, you know, why do you need to do this to this character? Uh, and what is it? What does it really add? Um, does it add anything new to this character? Does it add any extra dimensions? Like the character had already been killed off in the first issue, so now we're getting worse things happening to her. I just always felt that that was unnecessary and upsetting. Um, but I mean, the series itself was good. It was well-written, it was well-illustrated, it was exciting. I just always felt that that was something that didn't need to be there. It's written by Brad Meltzer, Rags Morales, On Heart. Next up, uh, we have... uh, (laughs) This was an interesting book happening at the same time. Uh, You had Identity Crisis, so of course Marvel's going to have something similar called Identity Disc. um, Which is right next to it on on the sands. Uh, I don't know if this was just... If anyone's ever kind of come out and said that this was because I didn't, like if this would have been called this if it wasn't for Identity Crisis, who knows? Uh, it's written by Rob Rody and uh, it's got art by John Higgins. Um, yeah, this is kind of strange. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it overall. Uh, just a very, very weird book and not very good, but you know, it was just an excuse to get a bunch of villains together and do a, a weird kind of high story. It's not worth going back to, to be honest moving on uh from uh, identity disc uh we have uh, jla at the time was uh, way past uh, issue 100 it was at what issue 105 written by chuck austin artwork by ron garney uh the pain of the gods amazonian warrior i don't really remember much about that that run there i don't think i was reading it myself but uh yeah it looks like he was doing a bunch of this issue and the storyline was called pain of the gods uh Iron Man Wise was up to I can't I don't even remember it getting up to issue eighty eight. It's written by Mark Scott Ricketts, art by Tony Harris, and this is part of the Iron Man Disassembled, and I wasn't reading it at the time. I'd maybe I think jumped off the book a while before this, so uh, that's kind of a giant um, a blind spot for me in terms of what Iron Man was doing at that exact period. Uh, JSA had issue, hit issue sixty five. There was a short lived Jubilee book. Uh, which is just hit issue one By Robert Kirkman and Derek Donovan That's right, Robert Kirkman of zombie fame And Walking Dead and all this other stuff uh, Was writing a Jubilee book Hard to believe, 15 years ago Not that long ago But at the same time, forever ago uh, <laughs> Which is crazy uh, Moving forward uh, Majestic had its second issue as part of being really branded as part of the DC Universe. Uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, on the, uh, well, they are on the writing team with Carl Kerschel on art. Uh, you had uh, Marvel Knight's Spider-Man had its sixth issue. Uh, so this is part of the Mark Millar uh, run where he did a, a year's worth of story. Uh, this was uh, the second major arc of that called Venomous Part 2 of 4 by Terry Dodson. Uh, this is the storyline where uh, Angelo Fortunato will get the Venom uh, symbiote and it moved on from, uh, from eddie brock so this was kind of a big deal 15 years later guess what eddie's venom again because eventually if enough time goes by he'll be venom again i had the fourth issue of the mary jane series by sean mckeever and Takeshi miyazawa which is absolutely phenomenal it would later be replaced by the spider-man loves mary jane series um or continued in that book anyway um and those are all available and now in the uh kind of not quite digest size, a little bit bigger than that. Trade paperbacks uh, as part of, I guess, the Marvel Rising uh, line, you can kind of call it. But phenomenal books and uh, still in print, so you can still find those. Uh, you had a Marvel Visionaries Jack Kirby hardcover, volume one at the time. Uh, you had a Maidrox, number one. So this is before X-Factor, the extremely long-running X-Factor run by Peter David. But before that, you had, as part of the Marvel Knights line, Rox by Peter David and Pablo Ram- Ramondi, which was such a great... Uh, backdoor Pilot to X Factor. Um it had him running a investigations team. Uh it's very interesting and well worth reading. And again, it, it ended up being so influential and important to where Jamie as a character would go for years, like a long time. Uh you had the Mystique book coming close to a close, also written by Sean McKeever with artwork by Manuel Garcia. Uh 19th issue was out at that point in time. Uh, New X-Men. Academy X was running, the issue 5 by Nunzio De Filippis and Christina Weir with Michael Ryan on art. It's hard to believe that some of these characters who eventually became part of the the New X-Men series that kind of came after it are still around, but a lot of them, you know, they're less than 15 years old. There was a lot of characters created in this period. Uh, You had Outsiders by Judd Winnick and Dan Juergens in this particular issue. I don't remember Dan Juergens doing a lot of the art, but I guess he did this particular issue. Um, And this is is a short-lived team. I think it was around two or three years before on it kind of got changed by a big way but I loved this Outsiders run by Judd Winnick. It was really exciting and interesting and uh, definitely dark and uh, had a lot of interesting places that it got to go. Um, also we had The Pulse, issue number 5 So that's a short-lived book it's, This was, the, I believe, the end of the first arc By Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley This was the spiritual successor to Alias uh, It was coming out of the Marvel Max line So they couldn't do the same type of things They used to before um, But uh, this, was, this was a big deal at the time uh, Robin hit its 130th issue Again, part of War Games By Bill Willingham and John Proctor uh, we had Runaways issue 18, which is the end of the first uh, run of Runaways as part of the Marvel Tsunami line by Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alphona. Man, I remember that that short-lived Tsunami line. You know, they were really trying a lot of things at Marvel. I got to give them credit; like they were throwing a lot of things at the. You know, and some things worked, some things didn't. But like Runaways was, you know, a brand new concept, brand new IP, and it's still around uh those characters still exist they have a you know the third season of a tv show based on the property is about to come out in a, in uh next month in december so it's, it it all started well so the first the first 18 issues or so the first year and a half came to an end only 15 years ago. So it's it's not that new a property anymore, even though it always will feel like that. Same thing with Young Avengers. It always feels like a new property, but it actually has been around a long time now. Uh, She-Hulk number seven came out. Now, this was obviously the uh, um, amazingly influential Dan Slott and one Babillo run, or at least this issue was by Juan Babillo. Uh, this book is actually getting an omnibus next year, um, so it's exciting to have it all uh, be able to be collected here. Um, one thing that, which I have missed... Oh, you know what? I think that's why um I was like, wait a minute Sigil this book wasn't still being published at this point no it looks like in the Deutschland it was uh, but not in uh, not in the um, North America Sigil is a cross general book and at some point in the future I'll do a cross uh focused episode uh just talking about that uh Juliet, well in my estimation Julie departed combo company um other things that were going on at this point um let's see uh, we had the Spider girl 78 I. I'm ashamed to say that I left the book after issue 50. i would check in from here and there, but I, at some point I just stopped buying it, and I've always regretted it. Um, I've, there's never been one day where I'm like, "That was the right call." No, I feel horrible that I never bought the rest, and uh, you know, I, I and it, it was such an adored book, and I loved it, and I again I covered it for two years, but then I. Stop reading it for some reason, and I do not know why. Uh, Superman, number 209, uh, had For Tomorrow, Part 6, the Brian Azzarello, Jim Lee story. Um, this was the, one of those things where, after Hush, I think everyone was like, what is Jim Lee going to do next? Because Hush was amazing. And he goes on Superman, and everyone's like, it's going to be Hush, but Superman. And it wasn't. And Brian Azzarello told an interesting story, but it was confusing at times. Had brilliant artwork, but I always felt like it never quite stuck... Any kind of its landing. It never really was able to land it. And that's too bad because, again, beautiful artwork. Next up is Teen Titans. Uh, this is by Jeff Johns and Mike McCone, Superboy and the Legion, uh, in issue 16, so it's not that long ago. Um, and then the issue before that was actually by Tom Grummet, uh which also came out that month, which was issue 15, Beast Boys and Girls Part 3, Changelings. Uh, I love Jeff Johns' run on Teen Titans. It was phenomenal. Uh, it really felt like it brought a lot of energy back to the book, um, so I always recommend picking those up. They're available in the complete collection. I think there's only three volumes of it so far, but definitely recommend that. Uh, when I get to the U's I'm like oh man there's so many Ultimate books Ultimate uh, Electra issue 2 Ultimate Fantastic Four number 11 so it wasn't done the first year yet you had Ultimate Nightmare uh, which was bringing up eventually would lead into the Ultimate Galactus being introduced you had Ultimate Spider-Man number 65 you had Ultimate X-Men 51 and uh, yeah no, I really love that, that whole period of Ultimate books um, that particular storyline um, it looks like it's Detention I think that's trying to remember what it was because just looking at the cover it looks like spider-man's upset about something and see gwen stacy on it so had gwen stacy just died i feel like that must have been what had just occurred because it definitely looks that way yeah i think she she died because of carnage in, in the issue previous uh you have uh uncanny x-men at the time uh which was issue 448 it welcomed Clis claremont back to the book and you had uh, greg land doing some beautiful covers the interiors i don't remember the interiors here however i'm looking at it and i'm like olivier what? I don't remember him on Uncanny X-Men. Uh, not only that, but having um, uh, Chris Claremont writing it—like that—is not familiar to me at all. Uh, speaking of the tsunami run, we had the last issue of Venom. Uh, this was issue uh, 18. It's called "The Twist" by Daniel Wayne and Scotty Young, and I believe this is the kind of um, the Patricia Robertson character was this her first appearance or one of her only appearances? I guess she re- this was her last appearance here until I think more recently in the Absolute Carnage books that were kind of tied into this, uh, But it, which I only, only like, through Wikipedia and stuff, was like, wait a minute, this character's been around how long? She was she was where? What? Uh, you also had the Venom vs. Carnage series, which I believe was the one by uh, with the covers by Clayton Crane, um, which I never really enjoyed. Um, I think it looked great, but I... I was such a continuity f- fan, and I think feel like it didn't really seem to care about continuity. So it just kind of was enough to me to go, eh, no thanks. Um, it's interesting. I was talking about all the different things that Robert Kirkman was still writing at this time. Walking Dead was still issue fourteen, so it had already started. And, like I, it's hard to believe that he was doing all these other books while that was going on. You had uh, the, so you had the Walking Dead. Uh, you had Witchblade was still going. It was up to issue 80. You had Wolverine was up to, what, issue whew, 178. Uh, so a little bit past where I left after issue 175. Uh, and then over at X-Men, you had issues 161, 162. Uh, you had X-Statics. I uh, just had to show paperback. You had X-Men, the end of book one was running at this time. So it's definitely an interesting period. So that was uh, 15 years ago. So that was 2004 in November some crazy stuff it's interesting how many kind of marquee books or or big important books were happening all at the same time or big important runs uh what a time um i was going to next episode look at um november 1999 i'm not sure if i'm going to do that anymore because i think by the time that episode comes out it may have already been passed to the end of november so uh that that may not end up happening but uh in any event, thanks for listening to this episode, uh, looking at the books that came out in November 2004, 15 years ago. Uh, you can always email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com, rate and review the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.